This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. I want to invite you to head over to somebodycares.org. There a screen is going to pop up. You'll enter your information and then you can choose what content you'd like to receive from us. Resources available are Doug Stringer's teaching, prayer ministry, our Monday morning encouragement called Provoke a Thought, or Somebody Cares Updates. If the box doesn't appear as you open up somebodycares.org, simply scroll to the bottom of the page and you'll see a place to enter your email there. I have the privilege today to share a message that I know will help encourage you to persevere in this hour. I'm Cassie Smith. I work behind the scenes on this podcast, A Word in Season, and I also am on staff at Somebody Cares America. I want to encourage you to hit the subscribe button, whether you're listening on Charisma Podcast Network or on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure that you have subscribed and turned on the notifications. That will enable your device to be able to notify you when we have a new episode out. Today we're on episode 112 and looking back through the messages from Doug and from friends that he's invited on, there is an underlining message of hope and encouragement. It's all about how do we lead well. It was this time in 2019 that an article was released, Lead Well Through Life's Detours. We also have an episode called Unexpected Detours, episode three. I'm going to link both the article and the previous podcast episode in our show notes today. So make sure that you go to charismapodcastnetwork.com forward slash show forward slash a word in season and you'll find the latest episode up at the top and you'll be able to click on it and see our episode notes. So I'm going to tag this article I'm about to share from as well as Doug's podcast Unexpected Detours because this is all about perseverance today and I think that in order to persevere we have to reflect back on the things that God has done in previous seasons and when we see how his hand has led us through In times of challenge and discouragement, we will see that God has been faithful all along, all through our lives. It encourages us to move forward. It encourages us to persevere. In this article, Lead Well Through Life's Detour, Doug mentions that unexpected detours and disruptions can be especially discouraging for leaders as they carry the burden of responsibility for those who are following and trusting them to lead. The discouragement can distract us from our intended destination and focusing on our disappointments can lead to disillusionment. During these times, it's important to remember that God has a plan and a purpose that is far greater than the temporary circumstances that plague us. Oxford Living Dictionaries speaks of perseverance as doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. To persevere in leadership, Doug says we need persistence, we need staying power, we need a sense of purposefulness, we need patience, diligence, and commitment. One of the mottos that you hear often at Somebody Cares is our desire to win or to succeed must be greater than our moments of challenge. 
And so as I was looking over this article and, and thinking about the unexpected detours and not only my life, but in the lives of my friends around me, I began to ponder on perseverance. One definition that I found that I quote often is to persevere is maintaining a purpose in spite of difficulty, obstacles, or discouragement. That word inspire, that phrase in spite of means that it's going to come. We will face difficulties, we will face obstacles, and we will face discouragement, but we need a purpose so that we can push through in those moments and persevere. Let's look at those three things that in spite of, we are meant to persevere. In spite of difficulty. Difficulty is a thing that is hard to accomplish. It's a thing that is hard to deal with or understand. How many times have I faced challenges that I just didn't understand? I didn't understand what was happening, why it was happening, how we got here. So all of those questions begin to surface. Maybe it wasn't something that I was having to face myself most of the time it's when I watch my own family suffering that begins to provoke those questions of why why so there's difficulty that comes it's those things in our lives that's difficult to understand and deal with obstacles we are meant to maintain purpose in spite of obstacles obstacles are those roadblocks that prevent or hinder progress A lot of times we get going and it's full steam ahead and then we hit that roadblock and then there's a delay. Maybe the delay is for a day. Maybe it's for a weekend. Sometimes it becomes months, maybe years have passed. Maybe for you, you started out in a business venture or ministry opportunity and you hit the roadblock and that thing has been idle for decades now. Maybe you thought it's dead, it's long dead, But it just hit an obstacle and we're called to maintain that purpose in spite of those difficulties and obstacles. Discouragement is one that's been difficult (laughs) for me to overcome. Discouragement is a sense of loss of confidence, enthusiasm. It's a dispiritedness. It is an attempt of the enemy to prevent something by showing disapproval of it or creating difficulties around it. It can be sometimes an actual deterrent in our lives, someone who is sent on assignment to be the discourager of your life, to keep you from fulfilling the call of God on your life. We know in the book of John that it says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so he puts these difficulties, he puts these obstacles, he puts discouragement around us, all for the purpose of stealing your purpose. So I want to chat about that today. I want to talk about perseverance. A quote from Charles Spurgeon is, By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. He may not have been the first one there, but he got there. And so as I was thinking about perseverance, I went to the book of Ruth. A few years ago in the middle of teaching this, God dropped in my heart, literally in the middle of me speaking. (laughs) He said, Cassie, this isn't Ruth's story. This is Naomi's redemption story. And so as I am going to share this story, I'm going to share it from Naomi's perspective. You know, the very first start of this book tells about a man named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. Those two names are very intriguing. Elimelech means strength of the king, not the king Jesus, but an earthly king, strength of a king. So a strength of a 
earthly man of authority. Naomi means pleasant. They had two sons, Malone, which means infirmity, and Kelion, which means failing or wasting away. And they were from Bethlehem in Judah. They had all went to the country of Moab to settle there because there was a famine in the land of Israel. Matthew Henry Commentary says Elimelech's care to provide for his family was not to be blamed, but his removal into the country of Moab could not be justified. The removal ended in the wasting of his family. For it is folly to think that escaping the cross, which being laid in our way, we ought to take up. Changing our place seldom is mending it. We know from scriptures that the righteous would never be forsaken, nor the seed begging for bread. We know that in times of famine in the past, God has always taken care of and provided a way of escape. Most of the time, it is in being still and listening to God's voice and not doing as Elimelech did, removing himself from the place that God had planted him. Many times I think we do that in our own lives. We see famine, we see something looks like it's dried up, and we decide uh, there's no provision here for me anymore. I need to go out and search for my own and make my own way. And that's what we find this family has done. A period of time has passed, and we see that now Naomi is left with two daughters-in-law because both her husband and her boys have died. This is probably in about a 10-year period. And she decides, and I love this, it's in the message version, but it says in verse 6, she, it says, One day she got herself together to leave the country of Moab and set out for home. That phrase, got herself together, you cannot remain in a state of numb uncertainty. We have to decide what the next step will be. Perseverance is the choice that we make in the moments we aren't sure what to do. But we know we cannot keep sitting in despair. Despair is the complete loss of hope. And we as Christians know that our hope is not in anything in this earth. Our hope is anchored in Christ. But we can have those moments where despair comes and wants to rob us of that hope, wants to discourage us, wants to rob us of that God-given confidence and courage that we have found in Christ. So maybe you're listening and you're in that season where you have ventured out maybe away from the things that God had told you to do and maybe ventured out into just a place of feeling a little, maybe this is a little bit more comfortable and God is calling you back home, back to the things that he's called you to do. He's asking you to pick up the purpose again and run with it. He's asking you to overcome difficulties and obstacles and discouragement and begin to run the race again. Maybe you're in that race and you've never stopped, but it's just slowed down a lot. Or you're feeling like if something doesn't break through, I am going to, like, this is it. I'm going to quit. And you're looking for that moment of second wind. I'm talking about that today. Perseverance is that second wind. It is the Holy Spirit that rises up inside of us and, and encourages us to get yourself together. To pick up the pieces and begin to journey back home. Journey back to that first love. Journey back to that place of consistent trust in Abba Father. So you may be sitting there and like Naomi decides, there's nothing left here. I'm headed home. 
So she makes that decision. She makes that choice. Do you know what disappointment is? Disappointment is an emotion. They are not our enemies, these emotions. They were placed inside of us by God's hand as he knitted us together in our mother's womb. But if these emotions are not baptized by the Holy Spirit and under the submission to what Father God is wanting of us and asking of us, then it tends to our emotions will fuel and drive every decision we make. And so if we're disappointed or jealous or angry or sad or happy, all of those things are driving how our day is going to turn out, what things we're going to say, where we're going to go. And so emotions have to be led by the Holy Spirit and sensitive to his word and his leading and his nudges. And so when disappointment comes, I've learned that it simply means when you break that word down in etymology, dis is a prefix that means not. Appointment means set time. So disappointment literally means not the set or appointed time. We know through the word of God that every step we take as a righteous person is ordered of the Lord, that we can walk in his favor, that he will make every path, even though it seems very crooked and like winding and where are we going here? It actually looks straight to the Lord. He's If we're being obedient to him and we're acknowledging him in all of our ways, he is keeping our foot on that appointed time. So when the emotion of disappointment comes, it just means there's a timing of God and we're not in it at the moment. <laughs> but hold on. Get yourself together because there is an appointed time. Keep moving. So Naomi, that's what she did. Perseverance is the hard work you do after you get tired of doing the hard work you've already done. It is time more than ever as the people of God to rise up, to, to be renewed in the Holy Spirit, to pray without ceasing, to return to our first love. So Naomi has heard that the people of God, there's been restoration in the land, that the famine is over and they've had a good harvest. And so she begins to walk that walk back home. And I love this portion at the end of chapter one that most of us, I know I sure didn't, didn't pay attention to what God was saying. In verse 22, it says, and so Naomi was back and Ruth the foreigner was with her back from the country of Moab. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. You see, in Naomi's bitterness, and bitterness isn't always a, a person who's unkind or a person who is biting and angry and hateful. Bitterness can, can just be a feeling of defeat, deflated. And we see that Naomi felt that because as she's coming back in to Bethlehem and people are recognizing her, but then again, not really recognizing her because this, you know, decade or so of distress and loss and great grief, not only losing her husband, but her two sons, um, the feeling of utter defeat had aged her. And so she's coming back in and people are, aren't, hey, it's Naomi. Isn't that Naomi? And she began to tell them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Lord has dealt a heavy blow. 
And so she wasn't coming back the same woman that she was. Naomi had meant pleasant, as I said earlier. Here she's saying, don't call me that. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And I think about that in my own life. There's been times and seasons of just defeat, bitter defeat, bitter loss. And it didn't change my personality. It didn't cause me to be hateful and biting. And we see that in Naomi. Now, there's maybe been times that it has. <laughs> but for the most part, I try not to allow that to cause me to um, be a hateful person. But there's just times that there's loss and there's defeat. And we see that how Naomi treated her daughters shows that she was not hateful in her bitterness. And as they're journeying, both Orpah and Ruth had gone out with her. And there comes a point when she realizes that there's nothing for these two girls if they come along. They, it would be better for them to go back to their mother's home and then be able to marry new families and, and new husbands. And so she bids them farewell and, and kind of pushes them to, to head back to their home. And we see that at first, both of the girls clung to Naomi and wept and said, we're going with you. But then Naomi takes it a step further and she says, but it's what are you going to do? You're not going to wait for me. Even if I could have another son, are you going to wait for that child to be grown? That's, I mean, she's basically saying that's absurdity. It is, there's nothing in it for you if you follow me in this. And Orpah decides then to kiss her mother-in-law goodbye, her sister-in-law goodbye, and head back to her, her home, back to what was familiar, because these were Moabite girls. And so she heads back to what's familiar and what's home for her, and Ruth clings to her mother-in-law, and that's where we get the famous, it's wedding vows, but she gives it to her mother-in-law. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried alongside you. I mean, she's like, even in death, I'm with you. And interesting, again, all of these names mean something in this story, in the book of Ruth. And Ruth means friend. Orpah means fawn. And that can mean uh, an immature deer. <laughs> And it can mean a person who fawns or flatters, who fawns all over you with flattery. And so there's immaturity there. There's a sense of flattery there. These are the type of individuals who, whenever they're presented with, there's nothing in it for you. They typically will kiss you goodbye and head back to familiarity. Where the friends, the true friends in your life that are with you to the end will not be pushed away in your season of bitterness. So let me go on. So back to verse 22 of chapter 1. It, it was in her bitterness that she didn't even realize the season that she was arriving in and what that season said about her. She came in the barley harvest and that said, this is an overcomer coming home. There's three main feast days of Israel that are associated with three different harvests. There's the barley, there's the wheat, and there's grapes. And they represent three different types of people. The barley represents the overcomers. The wheat represents the rest of the believers. And the grapes represent unbelievers. The reason why there's a difference between overcomers and the rest of the believers is because there's those who believe 
but they stay in Moab. They believe, but they stay in a place of uncertainty. They stay in a place of defeat. Do they have the same God in their heart? I believe yes. But there are some things that people go through that for whatever reason, they're not able to persevere. Doug talks about it a lot. It's all about finishing well. Not just finishing, but finishing well. And there's so there's overcomers. The barley represents the overcomers. And I love this. Because the barley is a good symbol of the overcomer. They will flourish in times of drought. So barley is a hardy plant that can withstand drought and extreme heat and cold. So when the scriptures talk of grain or meal in the time of drought, it's usually referring to barley. For wheat cannot grow under such severe conditions. In this way, barley is a great symbol of an overcomer who will flourish in times of drought in between revivals when the Spirit of God does not appear to be moving. In contrast, the wheat, which represents the other believers, they're the company that usually lose or lack vitality. They grow weak or feeble. When God seems to hide his face for such a time, this company of believers tends to lose heart and die out. Like Israel under Moses, they tested God by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? In Exodus 17, verse 7, the wheat company do not understand that our faith is not tested while God is moving miraculously, but it is tested in those times when he is silent. Thus, in the time of drought, the wheat dies. The barley call is not a call to righteousness, but to brokenness. It is not a call as yet to victory, but to the despair of death. It is not a call to the throne, but to the dungeon and the wilderness. And when all the self-righteousness is gone, when all impatience has run its course, then is death conquered by life. This is what the barley harvest represented. And this is what it said of Naomi, that all self-righteousness had died, that all the impatience that they felt during the time of drought that caused them to leave Bethlehem in the first place. It had run its course and its course led to the destruction of their family and to the devastation of now Naomi returning alone. She was with her daughter-in-law, but alone in the sense of no longer with her husband. And so she has now, this is representing a death of the way things were, and now a new life that's about to spring forth. And most of us know the story of Naomi and Ruth and how Boaz comes on the picture and there's redemption. And it's it's just a beautiful story of Naomi's life turning around and now they're grafted through her grandson into the lineage of Jesus. There's a process, and I'm talking about perseverance and persevering and how to maintain a purpose in spite of difficulties, obstacles, and discouragements that come. Maybe you feel like you're a family in the middle of a famine. Maybe it's a physical one, maybe financially. Maybe it's through a spiritual battle that you're facing, but you feel like there is something that is lacking in your house. I'm encouraging you, do not leave where God has planted you. There is a process. For Naomi, the process came by way of her family choosing to venture out in their own strength to overcome famine, but ended up far worse. 
How many times do we flutter around from this to that, from one thing to the next, searching for fulfillment and for happiness and for an answer, for an easier way out? We may end up in one relationship to the next, not just romantic relationships, but with friendships and business ventures, constantly searching. And the minute something looks like a challenge or like drama or like pain, we shut off. Like Orpah, the daughter-in-law who kissed Naomi goodbye, we will kiss our problems goodbye and head back to what we are more comfortable with. Once the situation was deemed unfavorable, Naomi mentioned there's no prospect of a future with me, no husband, no kids. Suddenly the feelings that Orpah had just had a minute ago when she was clinging like Ruth to Naomi, those feelings had died down and now she was willing to turn back and walk alone back to her mother's home. These two girls, Ruth and Orpah, from the same house and the same situations, but totally two different reactions to their circumstance. Ruth persevered to follow Naomi even when it didn't seem like it was going to have a future. Where Orpah chose to go back home and go back to familiarity. And we don't know how Orpah life turned out. We don't know if she was remarried or had children. It's likely in those days that she did, but we don't know her story because the end of her story for us is the minute she turns from Naomi and begins to walk home. But for Ruth, we know that her story, she's grafted in the lineage of Jesus. We know the end of her story. There's a legacy that's left for us to, to learn and glean from. I think about two guys in the New Testament You have Judas Iscariot and you have Simon Peter. One betrayed Jesus, one denied Jesus. Both were warned ahead of time that it was going to happen and both regretted what they had done. In Luke 22, verses 3 through 6 in the message version, it says, That's when Satan entered Judas, the one called Iscariot. He was one of the twelve. Leaving the others, he conferred with the high priest and the temple guards about how he might betray Jesus to them. They couldn't believe their good luck and agreed to pay him well. He gave them his word and started looking for a way to betray Jesus, but out of the sight of the crowd. So we know these things about Judas. He left his friends. He began discussing his opinions with the wrong people. He cared more about what was in it for him than he cared about the life of Jesus and his friends. And we know that he was hiding. He was away from the one who had called him. Judas left others. That word conferred that it talks about in this translation, it means to go and discuss your opinions, to discuss and exchange your opinions. And there's nothing wrong with that. We find that the disciples alongside Jesus were constantly asking questions and discussing things with one another and with Jesus. It matters who you confer with. It matters who you discuss your opinions with. Because for Judas, he left his friends and he discussed his opinions with the wrong people. The final clinch for Judas was that he was going to be paid very well. Remember earlier in their ministry when Judas became upset and angry and even enraged about this expensive perfume that was used to anoint Jesus that was told about in John chapter 12? He was letting his aggravation bury deeper and deeper, and he was festering long before Satan entered him. 
Following the betrayal, Judas took the money back. It says this in Matthew 27. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, talking about Jesus, saw that Jesus had been condemned and was on his way to the cross, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? See to that for yourself. And he threw back the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. This is the end of Judas's life. He left his friends. He talked to the wrong people. He cared more about what was in it for him. And he was hiding away from the one who had called him. And he took his own life in the end, unable to deal with the remorse and the grief for having betrayed an innocent man. Most of the time, that thing that we think will solve our problems. Judas was aggravated. He thought things weren't being done the right way. And because Satan had entered him, he used that and let that be fuel for going and agreeing to betray Jesus. Now let's look at Peter. Simon Peter, in that same chapter that we read earlier, when it said that, Satan had entered Judas down to verse 31 and 32 of chapter 22, Luke 22, 31 through 32. Jesus is saying this, Simon, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me like chaff from wheat. Simon, I've prayed for you in particular that you do not give in or give out. When you have come through the time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Simon Peter, immediately upon denying Jesus for the third time that day and hearing the rooster crow, which made him remember that conversation that he had where Jesus literally said, before the rooster crows three times, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter remembers this and he runs and he begins to weep bitterly. But we know Peter's outcome was far, far different than Judas. When we are met with hardships, what we are made of comes out. What have you been putting in your heart? Judas was a ticking time bomb. He could not persevere in the dark hours following his betrayal because when others were staying close to Jesus, Judas was pulling away. But why didn't Peter go and end his life like Judas did? I believe it was because of this. Because he always stuck close to his friends. It was because when he had opinions, he discussed them with Jesus or his friends. He cared more about what was happening to Jesus and to his friends. If you'll remember, he was the one who tells Jesus, that's not going to happen. And Jesus rebukes him and tells him, you remind me of Satan at that point. But he at least was saying it. He was talking about the passion of his heart was that nothing bad would happen to Jesus or to his friends. And lastly, when Peter was hiding, he was hiding near the one who had called him. He was hiding near Jesus. That When he denied Jesus, he was in close proximity to what was going on. He was concerned about what was happening to Jesus. And so he was nearby. He's warming himself by the fire. And that's when people begin to say, weren't you out there with him? Hey, you're one of his disciples. That's when he denies Jesus three times. But he was nearby. He hadn't ran away 
from Jesus. He hadn't ran away from the disciples. He was hiding, but he was hiding near the one who called him. Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Luke 22, verse 32. That's in the New King James Version. And I believe that's what caused Peter's outcome to be so different. He maintained, and we know that he became one of the apostles of the church. He was the first to stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach the gospel. Peter became a strong man of God and was able to turn and strengthen the early church. In John 16, 33, Jesus answered them, Do you finally believe? In fact, you're about to make a run for it, saving your own skins and abandoning me. But I'm not abandoned. The Father is with me. I've told you all of this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I've conquered the world. Jesus isn't surprised or shocked that we struggle. He wants us to know that there's a reason to push through and to persevere, to maintain that purpose, is because he wants us to not only be strengthened ourselves, but to turn and to strengthen others. Romans 5 verse 1 through 5 says, Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. So many of us fail to see growth in our lives. We fail to see the character of Jesus in ourselves. We lose heart and feel hopeless because we have missed the crucial lesson of perseverance. So as you're listening today, you may say, how do I even begin? How do I persevere? How do I encourage others to persevere alongside me? How do we get them to understand that it's in our persevering that God is producing something greater than we could ever think or imagine? You may be asking, how, 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 how? I want to encourage you with this. In Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 19, it says this, my response is to get down on my knees before the Father. This magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth, we ask Him to strengthen you by His Spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite Him in. And I ask Him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. So how do we do it? We get down on our knees before the Father. We ask Him to strengthen us by His Holy Spirit. We ask that Christ would live in us and we open the door and invite Him in. We ask that our feet would be planted firmly in love. And then we begin to walk it out. We begin to stretch out and experience Christ's love. The heights, the depths, of his great love for us. You may say, I've tried this and it didn't work. And I would say, try it again. Try it again. All triumph is, is umph that's been added to try. Get up, 
Get some umph behind you and try it again. Amen. Let me just pray as we close out this episode today. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for every listener today on this podcast, for the friends of a word and season. I thank you that many today are persevering in some of the most trying times that they have ever faced. And so much loss is upon this earth today. And God, I pray for each listener, God, that they would have a sense of renewal today. That even as they're listening to the words, God, I thank you that faith and hope is being stirred. God, that we are returning to our first love and that we are saying yes now more than ever, God. We will be obedient to you. We will get up. God, maybe in times of despair and disappointment, we will get up and begin to run the race again. So Father, upon every listener, upon every household that they represent, I thank you that your goodness and your mercy follows us all the days of our lives. God, I thank you that we can dwell in your house forever in the seasons of famine and in the seasons of plenty. We will always sit down at your table and be well fed. And so God, we thank you for that today. I thank you for persevering people to rise up in this hour in Jesus name. Amen. If you have a prayer request or praise report, you can email prayer at somebodycares.org. You can also call or text the 24-hour Somebody Cares prayer line, 855-459-CARE. Again, that number is 855-459-CARE. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.